Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, should Pete Evans be banned from television? Two TV networks facing lawsuits from former employees and the battle for breakfast takes an interesting twist. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Well, it's a big hello and welcome to another big edition of TV Black Box. I'm Rob McKnight. You can find me at Rob underscore McKnight. Her name is Sarah Monaghan. She is known as Shrimp Tank. That is her official FBI moniker. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm just hoping that I don't get blown away by the storm while we're in the middle of the podcast. Uh, we are watching to make sure you don't get blown away. We are keeping an eye on you, but if you suddenly disappear, viewers will know that she is in fact dead. So, um, <laughs> oh my god! Wow! If, you, if you're gonna go, so Sarah, you've got to do it on shit. on video and on podcast. Surely, hey, the viewers advocate Steve Mulk is here. You can find him just wow. by literally searching Steve Mulk. Hello, Mulky. Uh, wow, Rob McKnight, hello, and a big congratulations to the Working Dog team. 200 episodes of Have You Been Paying Attention tonight. Oh, that's a fabulous milestone. Well done to them. Hey, the next gentleman to be joining us, he's known as Benjamin J. Norris. You can find him right there on Twitter, and we call him Ben. Hello, Benjamin. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. Um, I'm still here. Haven't been asked to officially leave as You're not yet. a visitor, Ben. Yeah, Thanks you, for uh, like inviting me You've been here for 75 years, haven't you? <laughs> you, you you're I've, part of the family. Okay, good. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm very grateful to be here, even though I'm a permanent fixture. <laughs> yes, all right. And there, there is a lot to come up in this episode. But before we begin our news section, I do feel we need to talk about some comments I made on this very podcast last week. They made a Whatever bit of news. Whatever could you mean, Rob McKnight? <laughs> they made a bit of news. Um, and when I saw in print or on the website, the Daily Mail website, what I had said about Studio 10, I did have that uh, morning after remorse and uh, realised that I had gone a bit far. And uh, I subsequently wrote an apology article. I thought I've made these comments publicly. They've been um, attributed to me publicly, so I'll, I'll make a public apology. Um I've got to say, the, the apology wasn't so much to Channel 10. It was to the people working on the show. You know, sure. I do know what it is like making a show like that, and I was a bit rough. And I've got to say, um, I've received a lot of blowback about the fact that I made an apology um, because huh. people, yeah, weirdly, people have said to me, no, we come to you for your raw, honest opinions. That's why we like you. That's why we like TV Black Box. And that's all well and good. And on any other subject, I'm willing to be open and forthright and give you my honest opinions. I just don't think, upon reflection, this is the week that I've realised I just can't do it with Studio 10. And we've had many conversations on this podcast, Mulk, about whether I should be able to talk about Studio 10. But the simple fact is... I can't, and so I need to stop. Now, I do need to be clear about something. Channel 10 never asked me for an apology. Channel 10 mm -hmm. never fired any salvos at me. I made the apology of my own volition. Having said that, subsequently, Channel 10 has pretty much stopped talking to TV Black Box and restricted our access, um, so that's a decision for them. But the apology was genuine. I am the kind of person that when I feel I've made a mistake, just... I don't care what anyone else thinks. When I feel I've made a mistake, I will stand up and own it. And that's what happened here. I should not have made those comments. I know a lot of people agreed with those comments and that was a lot of the feedback I got. It doesn't matter. I'm in a position where I am conflicted 
I am possibly biased. And so I need to just shut the hell up when it comes to Studio 10. So from here on, when Studio 10 will come up, I'm sure, in, mm-hmm. you know, if ratings go up, if ratings go down, if something's happening on the show, I will introduce the segment and I will not comment. I will we'll leave stick the an commentary. Eight ball in your mouth. Yeah, I will leave the commentary up to everyone else. Ben, you want to say something? Yeah, well, I think, you know, what was interesting about last week's TV Black Box podcast was that, you know, you made some really interesting comments along the way because had you just made the joke about it being as shallow as a puddle or whatever, that would have been funny and it would have been on brand for you. But it was sort of the nastiness that, or the twang that came into it afterwards as you then went on to say that the, the show, you know, stunk like shit and, you know, feel free to bleep that out because I, I and, and then for me personally, I woke up the next day just sort of putting to get putting to bed the podcast that we'd listen to and you know moving on and I woke up to a lot of people saying to me that Channel 10 were upset but I mean you're saying to us now that you kind of felt that it was the comments in the Daily Mail in the cold light of day that when you saw it printed that's why you did the retraction is that right that's correct because when I read those comments I went uh, and I, as I wrote in my article Um, I just came across as arrogant. And look, there's no doubt I have some arrogance about me. You know, like you can't can't work in TV at times without some kind of arrogance, but along with arrogance comes a lot of insecurity as well. And I think that's true for most people that work in the television industry. But I saw those comments and I just went, oh, my God, what have you said? And I... I didn't feel good about it and I really felt for the people that I've worked with previously and that they I knew they were upset about it. And so, um, as I said, 10, 10 can take whatever um, position they want to take and, and that is completely up to them. Obviously, we'd love to have a good working relationship with 10, but... TV Black Box does not live or die whether we've got a good relationship with 10. In fact, we published more dirt and more stories when we were at odds with 10 after I first got sacked, you know, because we had no cares and we didn't have to worry about relationships. The simple fact is having relationships with people sometimes does um, change the way you report stories because you are thinking about the relationship and how things change. If 10 decide to cut TV Black Box off completely, that actually makes our job simpler because there's no care factor from our point. Rob, can I squash a big rumour? And this is one of the ones that was floating around and that is that you pre-planned like a one-two punch with what had happened with this scenario and that you (laughs) pre-planned a negative response for Studio 10 that you then knew that you would then come out with an apology, (laughs) you know... A lot of people felt like you would you'd set this up, and it was all drawing attention back to your websites or back to the Ben Robin Robbo show. And I, I just felt like you know peeling behind the you know peeling the curtain back and letting people understand that you know I went through a lot of this you know as a bystander with you, and that certainly wasn't the journey that I watched. You know, I I literally <laughs> saw it evolve like you see a car accident. <laughs> I I I have to say I am genuinely so happy that people think I'm that smart. So that is that is awesome. Uh, uh, you know what? I almost don't want to scurry that rumour. I almost don't want to deny that rumour because I look like a bloody genius when people put it in those contexts. No, I'm an emotional person. It's been part of my problem my whole life. I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, people came to me and said, don't ever apologise again. And I was like, well, you know what? This is who I am. I talk openly. I make mistakes. I... Uh, I believe when I'm right, I will back myself to the hill. But also when I'm wrong, I will own that as well. And that is who I am. And so uh, the the ups, the downs, what you get with me, I like to think, is someone pretty genuine. You know, like is that an an apology to uh, my man uh, Tristan McManus and and my girl Sarah Harris? No, because I never had a go at them. I never once had a go at them. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, didn't. I, I did not have a go at them and I was quite clear on that. And um, look, you know, I will say that I do think the show has gotten better in the week since it really it has. But it really has. I will also say those opinions were genuine, honest and raw. And to think that they were prepared before the show relaunched, I've been very positive about Studio 10 because I have wanted to move on. And it, it is sometimes, I think it's like an ex-girlfriend where you've moved on and then maybe you see her with this other guy and you get that twang of jealousy. <laughs> maybe that's what happened last week. I don't know. Good but analogy. I, 
Yeah, well, you know, like I, I, I obviously had a reaction that started off with a bit of a laugh and then I think you said something, Ben, that really riled me about, I think you said that I was having a go at Sarah and Tristan and I made the point and I doubled down making the point that it was about the actual content of the show, not the presenters, and that's how we got mm. into that whole thing. But, look, TV Black Box, we talk about these things. I'm sorry to make it all about me, but uh, it has unfortunately been one of the bigger um, TV news stories for the past week, and I apologise to everyone for that. <laughs> well, Jason Priestley is on the show today or tomorrow, so, uh, you know, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast, but uh, that's exciting. And the ad for them having Jason Priestley was hilarious, so I'll be tuning in. Well, bully for them. <laughs> no one, you guys, can I just say, no. not one of your faces responded to the idea Jesus. of Jason Priestley being a, a good thing. I'm like, Jason Priestley is going to be on okay, the show. Okay, we all liked Luke Perry better. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I, I really can't resist. I'm so sorry. And that's, I mean, Jason that good, right there yeah. is what gets me into trouble. Let's move on because there's lots of better things wow. to talk about. There are lawsuits of plenty at various networks where staff have been made redundant. Network 10's former executive producer of entertainment, Maria Michael, has launched federal court action against the company over hundreds of thousands of dollars in allegedly unpaid redundancy entitlements. And beloved presenter Simon Reeve has come under fire, apparently, for filing a claim against Channel 7 in the federal court. The Daily Telegraph reports Reeve is seeking additional entitlements, which hasn't gone down well with former colleagues who are apparently living off $200 food vouchers supplied by the network. Sarah, I am really confused by this. If Simon Reeves believes he has been duped out of entitlements, isn't he entitled to his day in court? Why would people be angry about this? Well, and why are they angry about that, but nobody's angry at the lady from 10 who is also suing for her entitlements? Are we only... Well, I've got to say the Simon Reeves article seemed like a hit job, but the fact is... um, People at seven should still be paid what they were supposed to be paid. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're this... made redundant and it's not COVID, like like they said, it's not because of COVID, we're just getting rid of people, then, yeah, they are entitled to payments and if they're not giving it to them, he has every right to seek them. I don't yeah, this see is my the thing. problem and with that. I've been in this position. I have fought for my rights and that's a thing. It's like Maria Michaels. You know, like here is the thing. These companies need to learn that if you sack people or make them redundant or whatever, you need to pay them the right amount. And everybody has the right to seek the entitlements that they feel they're entitled to. And then it comes down to either an agreement or a court of law making that decision. The idea that people would get upset with Simon Reeve just because he lives some kind of lifestyle, they, they're upset that he's got a house on the Gold Coast and that he had a good life while he was at seven, well, who cares? He had Talk a contract. He had a deal. He is entitled to fight for what he believes in. Uh, this just blows my mind. I, I just don't get it. It sounds to me like there's a backstory, though. That's the problem. Is that like, you know, whenever I hear something like that, I just assume that there must be something more to this as to people must have a vendetta against him or he must not be that supported. Because like, as Sarah said, you know, there are two different scenarios happening here where one group of people was more annoyed where they were both just doing the same thing. Or it's a case of someone with an axe to grind who just wants to do a hit job on him. You know, like the fact is, it doesn't matter if he was yeah. liked or not, a contract's a contract. And, and Ben, I would say this, just because something is reported and there might be sources, does not always mean there's a backstory or some truth to it. Spin is part of television, it's part of media. So, you know, there could be a hundred reasons why um, this was reported in the Telegraph. There could be the reason that the network wants to make him look bad so that he'll um, do a settlement and not go all the way. Uh, it could be that mm. someone who possibly is on the $200 voucher thinks it's a bit rich for him to go and do that and had a word with a journalist at the Telegraph. There, there's yeah, so many point. agendas in TV that you can't always be sure that we're, they're, they're, it's not always a case of where there's smoke, there's fire. Agreed, Robin. That's the difficulty in this. I mean, uh, for for Simon to be uh, taking his, you know, his, his redundancy to court around entitlements, absolutely his business. He can bankroll it. That is everything that he should be allowed to do. Uh, I can understand all, all of the arguments that you've put, whether it's a you know PR Jedi's hard at work or um, you know a disgruntled. Um, 
you know, other employee of Seven who is struggling, because let's be frank, Simon lived off the largesse of Seven quite nicely, thank you very much. That doesn't mean he, he wasn't worth it, just that by comparison, um, you know, it was doing all right. And so they might think that they're put out, you know, by having to live off um, food vouchers as opposed to mate wanting another ivory back scratcher. Um, it is a difficult time for everybody. And I think probably the challenge in this is a little mix of everything you've said. Um, absolutely, the network would be wanting to solidify their position from a PR point of view so that when this does get to court, uh, they don't look like the bad guys if they have indeed not given him everything that he's apparently due. Well, David Koch and Samantha Armitage have been forced back to work full-time as Seven looks to hold off a resurgent Today Show. According to The Australian, the Sunrise Stars were both working four days a week but have been told they must now go back to five days. The news comes as the Today Show continues to make ground nationally, but especially on the East Coast, where it now wins each week. Ben, I've got to say, it does look like Seven are getting nervous. Yeah, I think that they are getting nervous. I mean, and so they should be. And I think that at a time where you are wanting to regain or maintain your ratings, then absolutely. It's an old saying, you know, get all, all, all hands on deck. And, you know, when you know that you've got great presenters like that, it's not a shock to me with these early signs of today growing that they have made this reaction and, and good on them. I mean, they're just trying to secure their, their space on the ratings. You know, Mark, I said it looks like Seven are getting nervous. But mm. the thing about Seven is that they don't rest on their laurels. And sure. while they're winning, yes, they will allow people to expand and go off and do things. But this is smart. You know, like, they, they don't wait until they're losing to react. They're quite proactive, especially in the news area, especially when it comes to Sunrise. They're proactive. This is actually smart, isn't it? Look, I will say that that getting all of the bodies back involved, and that includes allegedly Michael Pell, who has been otherwise engaged, sort of looking at working up other stuff, um, leaving the sort of uh, the show, sort of in, in some of the other supervising producers' hands for a little bit, uh, while he's been maintaining, but not the daily control as he would normally have. Um, it's an interesting position because Seven a while ago allowed Koshi to move to a four-day-a-week situation uh, sort of as a part of a, a pay negotiation. Uh, to do that with um, Sam, it was absolutely about a COVID-related pay negotiation. You know, they asked everybody uh, who was above 200K, I think it was, according to the, the story from a little while ago, everyone above it basically cut down to four days, or, you know, help take one mm. for the team ostensibly, um, and good on them, right? Like that's to help get this ship through. For them to be effectively recalling them is an interesting situation. You say seven quick to react when they're not losing. Absolutely, nationally, they're not losing. East Coast market, they have lost the past four weeks in a row. That's not awesome. That's not a great place for them to be. Now, I also want to acknowledge absolutely, A, and hear me out, it is just breakfast television. Have oh. at me there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing, uh, when it comes down to winners, you don't get a trophy, right? People get to walk away and say, we're number one. That's it. That's it. So it is a, a battle that we enjoy talking about. It's one that we love to see on our TVs. Uh, the bigger question for mine is that uh, scuttlebutt around the industry is Koshi was going to Queensland to watch the AFL be with Port Adelaide for the finals. Uh, and I think it even comes down to the game that's playing tonight mm. uh, record time. If they win, they're in the finals. And the chairman of the Port um, uh, you know, AFL team would want to be there. And that's Koshi's job. So... What's he going to do if he has to stay in City? That could suck. Well, I have a bit of news on that. My sources oh. are telling me that Seven are still working through that, so there is no decision on whether he would be allowed to go. To, There'd be no um, flying between the two places, that's for sure. Yeah, well, because he would obviously have to go into quarantine, so um, it is something that is still being discussed at the network, and obviously tonight's result, as we record, will be a big part of that. But look, Well, maybe you know, they're we... like, you either do five days a week or you do none. You know? <laughs> well, that would be a mistake because I do think David Koch is a big part of the reason Sunrise is so successful, and yeah. uh, I don't think they would be—I don't think they would be um, silly enough to let him go so quickly. But I tell you what, who I feel sorry for here is Michael Pell. He's broadening his horizons. He's getting to work in some prime time stuff, and. Uh, I think it shows a lack 
of succession plan that mm. he can't go and do that and leave it in someone's. I, I wouldn't know who the who the number two is. You know, when Adam Boland was the head honcho, Michael Peel yep. was the number two. Look, we'll move on. And this week saw the Emmys stray into new territory by holding a virtual event. With many award shows cancelled this year, including our own Logies, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, producers of the Emmys opted for a virtual event using over 100 cameras in the nominees' homes. Mock, what did you think of the telecast? Uh, I think give whoever was responsible for executive production, directing, logistics, producing, give them all the Emmys now. It was amazing, right? They did such a good job. Such a good job. There were so many ways that this could have fallen over. And, look, it may well have fallen over in the background, uh, but they kept everything going. When they needed to cross to someone, the Zoom, you know, link worked for them. Everything seemed to be okay. Whatever it was, it managed to get off the ground. There were some jokes that didn't land. It was difficult not having an audience, Mm. I'm sure, for Jimmy Kimmel during his opener to have them react to him properly. Um, And, and look, Al Pacino, Alpaca, maybe that one could have done a little bit more work in the, in the writer's room, but. Uma, Oprah, David Letterman, you know, that never worked. Why would you try to copy that again? It was so great to have David Letterman there. Let me tell you, that was a really great bit. Um, <laughs> he was great. It, the thing that was most interesting to me was that, A, there was no orchestra to play them off. Mm-hmm. So if they kept mm. talking ostensibly, they would have had to make a pretty hard cut, and nobody did. They let them get away with pretty much anything, including make some pretty big political statements, yeah. as you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, and it was often the stuff that was said kind of after they finished and they were kind of throwing back to Jimmy that they kept the mic on quite, I, I would say, cautiously but intelligently, and you got some amazing moments mm, hearing absolutely. other people in the room rush in to congratulate them or celebrate with them or um, Uzo Adubra, after she collected hers, yelling out to her mama, uh, who was obviously <laughs> yeah. in the house, I won. Um, just hilarious, really great stuff and really genuine in the middle of what is otherwise a very, you know, kind of sterile, everyone gets primped and probably. I love that not everyone was dressed up too. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark, I was going to say that they allowed for some raw moments, which they must have had to have thought of, because when I was watching it, I I can honestly say that's the best Emmys I've ever seen, uh, ever, looking at a a whole production. No, it's absolutely true. It was engaging from start to finish, and there there were some really rough moments that didn't land, but they must have allowed for that to happen, which allowed us to see some raw human moments, which I think is the reason why the Emmys were as successful as they were. But I tell you what, when some of those jokes didn't land, uh, it was awkward. It was very awkward. Which is any normal telecast, to be honest. But Jennifer Aniston, when she did that first bit, every one of her jokes landed. But one thing I want to say is that we now have a new way to do the In Memoriam segment because what I loved, these weren't just a picture and a name. You actually had a reference point to what they had done, whether they were involved in Happy Days or whatever show. Mm. You got a... Mm. You didn't like that, Mulk? I, I, I Look, there were parts of it that I enjoyed, Rob, that I thought was actually really great to give me some grounding on some of them. They, they didn't do it for everybody. And that I thought was a bit icky. Yeah. That, you know, some people got this. I thought it was difficult, for example, um, to back uh Renee Aubergonis as a Star Trek star when that's not how people of my era would know him. That's how I, I mean, know I, him. I know him. Sorry? That's how I it know him. a choice. Oh, he was one of the cast of Benson at, and, sure. like, fabulous actor. Um, so there's lots of those kind. How do you pick the defining moment for somebody? Uh, and they couldn't for some, which is why they just caught a, a pretty generic thing. But for the things where they were most famous for, it was really great to see, for example, um, the actress who was uh, one of the nurses in MASH. Mm. Great. That it was kind of it was very clear. Oh, that's right. That's her. Wonderful. Um, but also I, the behind also... the scenes people more so for my mind, Mark. I, I take oh, what you're yeah, taking lovely. about talking about for the actors, but the behind the scenes people when you saw, oh, they worked at CBS, ABC, yep. and NBC, or they worked on this show. That really helps yes. me. I like producers that. that worked across a whole range mm. of them. Really great. I, I do struggle, and this is the 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 screaming lefty in me. I apologise when some people get significantly longer on screen than others in that process. (laughs) Like, 
you know, if we're going to no, do this. No, you're right. The guy who swept the floors in the studio should get as much as a big Hollywood star. Yeah, absolutely. Why should a big Hollywood star get longer than the guy who swept the floors? Because they've impacted people is. around the world. And for all the great work the guy who swept the floor did, he hasn't had the big impact of the Hollywood star. That is just the way it is. Well, it's fair to say the Ben Robin Robbo show has caused a bit of controversy this week. On Thursday, Ben and I, along with David Robinson, will be airing an interview with celebrity chef Pete Evans. When we announced the news, we were met with a barrage of criticism. And most of the attacks, and I do use the word attacks, basically said we shouldn't be giving Evans a platform to air his views. Sarah, I have to say, this surprises me. Do we really now live in a country where we can't air alternative views? A lot of Australians listen to and agree with Evans. That's not going to stop if we simply ignore him. Shouldn't we learn what he's thinking and challenge where necessary? Why do we even need to challenge? Why can't everybody just have a view? Why do we only allow views of people that we agree and like? Like, there's a lot of people that are on TV that I don't agree with their views, but they're, you know, mainstream, so it's fine, and I have to be, like, have their stuff pushed on me all the time. But now where it's becoming very 1984 or communist China, where we no longer allow views of people that we don't agree with. It's just stupid. Everybody should be allowed to listen to whatever they want and be trusted to be adult enough to make a decision on whether they agree with that person. And if they don't agree with them, just either switch it off or say, oh, I don't agree with you. And then move on with life. But simply suppressing the opinion of everybody that you don't like or agree with or that isn't considered mainstream is is terrifying. I, I want to try and be really measured in this because I, I value all of you guys. And, and, and while I may not agree with you all of the time, I still think you're lovely people. Um, <laughs> Pete Evans doesn't need the help. He has a big enough platform himself to be able to share all of the ideas that he has that personally uh, and all the scientific evidence that I have read show to be crazy. Uh, To to offer him another opportunity to share his views uh, on things that are patently untrue uh, is Honestly, I think a bit irresponsible. But, Malk, you're going down the wrong path here because you're negating something really important, and that is that we aren't doing that. We're not offering him a platform. It's Absolutely, not him you are offering him he a platform is, by well, airing not an to me. interview with you've, him on Malk, the Ben Robin Robbo show. I'm just t- telling you the reason why I am taking part in this interview, and it's my guest. I've brought him to the show, and the reason why is he is reflecting a large part of the population of Australia, and I can tell you this just from my posts over the weekend. It sounds like a very me, me, me thing, and thank you to the trolls come for me, but I just want to say I put up two posts over the weekend and that had nothing to do with Pete Evans and had nothing to do with that QAnon and all that stuff that he supports, but that all started drip-feeding into my into my Facebook and people saying, highlighting this stuff, this this very different, what I would call conspiracy theory, and we want to talk about that. Look, it's not about extending him an opportunity to push his brand. It is about recognising that there are people in Australia who even follow him that are confused with the messages he's providing. So what we want to do is give him a platform and a digital medium that is very different to mainstream television to be able to have an open conversation that allows him to say what he wants to say, but it also allows us to question that about him in a really open environment. I'm not ready to slam him even though I don't trust the man. I will say that. But I'm ready to speak to him because I know that he actually reflects an opinion of a lot of people I know. And I just want to get answers. If Pete Evans had not had myriad opportunities to express his opinion previously, I would say to you, Ben that what that your rationale for wanting to speak to Peter is reasonable. The challenge is he's had so many and he has his own platforms to be able to 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 share, to disseminate, to to circulate all of his theories and informations. You can't have it 
both ways and suggest that the Ben Robin Robbo show isn't, it's just a little digital show. We're just trying to sort of get to the, we're Dang, not giving I, I don't a think platform. of it that way. Thank you very I know, much. But this is my point, Rob. Ben just tried to, to sort of limit it and say, but it's just a little digital show. It's a small platform. It's I, not a big mainstream media vibe. Is that what vibe. he said? That's not how no, I No, that's not his, what I'm saying. Oh, roll the tape. I'm, roll the tape. I'm not saying that. I'm this not saying that This is not mainstream Mark. media. No, we're not that's mainstream exactly right. media. I think that's a fair comment. And Doesn't then mean you went on to say it's just show. a digital show. What I would say, Mulk, is mm. he's a person of note. He has a massive following. Why shouldn't we be speaking to him? This arrogance to suggest that there is some judge and jury who should decide who gets spoken to and who doesn't because we don't agree with them. You, you can call him crazy. You can write him off any way you want. I never said he was crazy. Anything to I said say he that, holds crazy ideas. Okay. But there it doesn't mean there isn't some validity in some of the things he's saying. What is the important wow, thing? Wow, that's so dangerous, Rob. No, that that's so the dangerous. problem, Mog. That is the problem, that there is some validity in some of the things he's saying. It depends at what point you reach where you go, you've stepped over a line, Pete. Because I think there are people in this country looking for alternatives to what is out there and don't we need to understand it? The Ben Robin Robber Show interviewed an anti-masker. We didn't scream him down. We listened mm. to what he had to say and we challenged him. Now, look... If you want to watch that interview and then come at me for the way Ben, I and Robbo have handled that interview, go for it. But what gets me and what I just can't fathom in this free, supposedly free society, unless you're on Twitter where people who disagree with you shout you down, in this free society, I do not understand the problem with talking to the men. I just don't understand it. Well, and I don't get right. You're talking to a chef and people are like, well, he's not a nutritionist. Like, what does he know about, like, vitamins? And it's like, okay, well, number one, he feeds people, so he's probably done a lot of research. Like, when I was a chef on a 120-foot yacht and I had a gluten-free person, a vegan, and, like, there was some other weird thing. And I had to do so much research on how to feed these people and learn all the things. But we can listen to a guy who made a computer company about vaccines, and that's okay. So where is the disconnect, like, where it's okay to listen to one person talking about something that isn't supposedly their field, but we're totally fine with the other guy who's doing something way out of his field, and that's fine. I have one word that helps you determine the difference, Sarah. Science. Absolutely. The Gates Foundation pour millions of dollars into scientific research to help vaccines, to help wipe out all these horrific diseases that take on particularly third world countries. Pete Evans does not invest, read, accept or even take for granted, even acknowledge the scientific research you know around the things that he proposes. Yeah, how, do you know? how do you know, how do you know what he, know he, reads he doesn't research? What he doesn't read? I have seen the interviews where he has been asked as much and he says, you cannot trust them. Do your own research. Find your answers. All this stuff about, and I just want to quickly, very quick sidebar, I appreciate that some people's experience of Twitter is not great. Mine's amazing. I mean, I don't know who you guys are following and interacting with, but if you're saying that Twitter is a place that's full of hate, get off it. Like, I, I have curated the people that I follow and hear and listen to, and they're not all people that agree with what I think. I have an amazing time on Twitter. I don't anyway, think you've ever been in part. a position, but Malk, I don't think you've ever been in a position where your brand has been recognised in a in such a bigger scale. You know, and it doesn't. I'm not. I'm not saying what it is that you do. Uh, is any better or worse than anybody else, whether you're the president of a country or whether you've been on a reality show for five minutes. I just want to clarify something, that sometimes you're propelled into a sphere where your notoriety leaves you open to have some really neg really strong negativity, and that breeding ground is quite commonly Twitter. Yeah, and the attacks I received this weekend about doing a Pete Evans interview was not from people I follow. Some people I follow didn't took except some people I follow took exception to the fact we were sure. doing an interview with him, but it's people who just came at me saying I'm a disgrace and all this kind of stuff. And what I still cannot understand is who decides who can be interviewed and who can't. You, is that I, you, I, know, I know who the arbiter is who? for the Ben Robin Robbo show. It's you, but are you Rob? That's you right. Ben, you and Robbo. I want to talk to you him. You guys get to determine that. Yeah, and I want to talk to him. I just don't know why people right. have an issue with that. And you can see that interview on the Ben Robin Robbo show <laughs> Thursday at 1pm on Facebook at facebook.com slash show or through Ticker TV.
or, of course, on demand. But right now, it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Sam Newman is sensationally launching legal action against his former TV employer, Channel 9. According to the Sunday Herald Sun, the former footy show star is suing Nine, claiming he was defamed in a news report which featured photographer Wayne Lovely, who was critical of Newman's comments about Nicky Winmar. Stan is set to shake up the streaming market as it joins parent company Nine in its bid for rugby union broadcast rights. According to The Australian, Nine could broadcast Wallabies test matches on its free-to-air channel and then show super rugby matches online via Stan. Julia Morrow, co-founder and a presenter with The Chaser, has attempted to sue TV producer Nick Murray for defamation after Murray referred to him as Lord Voldemort. According to The Age, the pair, who used to jointly produce the consumer program The Checkout via their respective production companies Giant Dwarf and Cordell Jigsaw, are already in a legal dispute after a nasty falling out. And production company Context Media has acquired the exclusive format rights to produce a New Zealand adaptation of the ABC original series You Can't Ask That. Multiple broadcasters around the globe have to date commissioned 29 versions of the series. And that is a lot of court stuff in this week's Hatches and Dispatches. <laughs> so true. Yes, this is the week television went to court. Now, coming up on TV Black Box, we take a look at Nine's big presentation to advertisers and media buyers. Plus, <laughs> we'll open the TV Black Vault to find out all the juiciest goss. We will be right back. 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Ticker TV or Facebook and Twitter at BRR Show. Watch live or on demand. It's Yes, and in case you hadn't heard, the Ben Robin Robbo Show has Pete Evans on Thursday at 1pm. Be there or be square and miss tomorrow's headlines today. This might today. be the first time I ever watched the show. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Just go to facebook.com slash show or watch through Ticket TV. Well, it was a big week for Nine as they launched their annual Upfront event. Instead, everyone was watching a glossy presentation at home. The network pitched big new shows, including a remake of Channel 7's Beauty and the Geek, and Super Nanny Joe Frost is coming out to Australia to host a new show called Parent Jury. But the big announcement was a brand new season of The Apprentice. The UK billionaire who's ruled the boardrooms of London for decades is coming to Australia. Never, ever underestimate me. 14 celebrities take on TV's star-studded new challenge. You screwed it up. You're fired. And face the toughest boss they'll ever meet, Lord Alan Sugar. So, Mark Buras is out and Lord Alan Sugar is in. But the biggest surprise of the night came during a speech by CEO Hugh Marks. So I hope you've enjoyed this new format. I hope you love this glimpse of our new facility. Please follow up with the Nine team, as I know they will uh, all be... Hi, Hugh. How's it going? Um, sorry Following up with sorry you. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, it's, it's... Hey, Hamish. How you going? Someone gave me the Zoom login <laughs> details, so I just thought I'd pop by and... Um... See how you go. See, I'm a bit late. All good? All good? Presentation go well? All good, mate. How are you? 
Yeah, really good. I mean, obviously flat out at home in lockdown still. In your Hugh Hefner outfit. Nose to the grindstone. Well, I would try to get a Hugh Mars one, but they're very rare. I, I only one made. <laughs> I have to say I am reliably told that Hugh Marks did not know that Hamish Blake would be interrupting uh, at that point in and was completely taken by surprise but handled it very well. Malka, uh, you've watched the Nines presentation. What did you think yep. of it? Uh, look, it was a slick affair. Mm. Uh, we got to see, as you would expect, you know, the important people within the sales team and mechanisms uh, in Nine pitching all of the pretty amazing, honestly, next steps around uh, how companies can engage with Nine and, and get their product in people's faces. No they content reinforced. people, Mulk. It was all salespeople, and I found that really interesting. Well, because the the only way out of this, they've got to sell their way out. Mm. So if we want to see the market grow in a post-coronavirus scenario, we've got to get people advertising. We've got to get stuff on our screens, which helps keep our screens full of content, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting, the fact that, of course, this is the first real proper big upfronts where they get to pitch that they are a multimedia giant, mm. that you can have your stuff on radio, in print, on television, online, all of it within the Nine ecosystem. And just, you know, sell in that regard as well as embedded into programs, which, of course, is the big hook for them, especially given in this slate there's 11 reality shows and two dramas that they have delivered to us in the coming lineup. They did leave themselves wide open, though, by doing a remake of Beauty of the Geek when just a week or so earlier had taken a dig at seven for taking another nine show, yep. The Voice. Um, and a fair swing that those that have made it too, let's be fair. Uh, a, a little acknowledgement though, The Voice was on nine this year yes. and will be on seven next year yeah. and Beauty and the Geek hasn't been around for nearly seven years. And, and that's oh, maybe certainly a fair point, but Farmer Wants a Wife hadn't been and Big Brother hadn't yep. been on air for All ages either. Um, but I've got to ask you, Ben, uh, what did you think? Were there any standout moments for you? Absolutely. I can't wait to see what Sophie Monk is like on Beauty and the Geek. I think that she is on brand for that and she's going to bring something really special to it. Uh, it is casting is key, you know, so who we get to see on that show is going to be the way in which that becomes a success. But to me, that's cool. Also, I do love Love Island and because it's on the Gold Coast and being produced by Alex mm. Mavrodikas, let's just call it Channel 9 doing Big Brother again. <laughs> Gosh. Does Beauty and the Geek ever do a version where it's uh, a bunch of uh, a hot, hot, like the smart or one smart woman and a bunch of hot dudes? No, because all smart women have to do is take off their glasses and pull down their hair and they all look beautiful. <laughs> if television has taught me anything, from playing Jane on Neighbours to every other nerdy girl on film and television, they're beautiful with just a, a, a makeover. Point of order, Mr Chairman, I do believe <laughs> that we have had some nerdy girls on, I think it was the second to last season of Beauty and the Geek. Uh, on but seven. that wrecks my joke, Malk. I know it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, look, it it was an interesting, interesting presentation because we got to see a lot of, as we talked about, salespeople in front of green screens uh, and mm. doing, you know, sort of virtual kind of here we are, it's Zoom-esque moments. Uh, Hugh Marks standing in what will be the newsroom of the new nine mm. at North Sydney was an excellent touch. Yeah. Uh, I've been lucky enough to go and walk around in that place and it is going to be a monster of a hive of activity when they do all move in uh, to Denison Street. Phenomenal facility. Holy crap. Yeah, that was um, the chief of staff area, which overlooks Jesus. the whole newsroom. It's an amazing facility and yeah. uh, has been really well thought out, really well thought out the way yep. they've positioned it, the way they're positioning people, where everyone will be sitting. It's it's really been planned out and will be a great space for multiple newsrooms to come together. I can tell you that there's a couple of, uh, uh, let's call them current affairs shows that are feeling a little bit iffy about moving out of their uh, current digs <laughs> at Willoughby and moving into a, yes. such a close position to maybe what they might consider to be their opposition uh -huh. literally in the next open space. Absolutely. The cottage uh, for 60 minutes, the cottages down there were a sacred place and it will mm. be quite something to move out of that. Uh, look, as Mog always does after the nine up fronts, he has a chat with... Uh, one of the chief programmers, Hamish Turner, and Malka sat down and had a chat to get his perspective on how Nine are selling themselves. Hamish, it is an interesting place that we find ourselves 
coming to the end of 2020 with the coronavirus really affecting pretty much everything. Um, the first half of the year, though, for Nine was pretty fantastic. You guys had a, a real purple patch, didn't you? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, a very interesting year, that's for sure, and a, a year that has obviously affected everyone, uh, not only in our industry mm. but but more broadly. Um, I think we were fortunate at the front half of the year that we had quite a few of our productions already in the can. So things like Married at First Sight, yes. Lego Masters, uh, we, we had already recorded those. Uh, so we were able to kind of put them to air uh, as planned. I think where we probably ran into uh, a few hurdles was, A, we weren't entirely confident that things like The Block and The sure. Voice and Ninja Warrior would be able to be um, filmed in the same manner as everybody's used to. So because of that, we kind of thinned out our schedule from about April onwards, which meant yep. effectively instead of stripping our shows over three to four nights, we slimmed it down to kind of twice twice a week. And, look, that actually started with Lego Masters. Um, mm -hmm. But fortunately for us, we, we're, we're able to, and working with, you know, our great content partners and production teams, um, we're able to get uh, all our key uh, platform shows away. Uh, and I think a as we speak, the block is about to hit um, that period where um, uh, <laughs> yes. it got shut down because of, um, because of Corona and effectively got shut down for six weeks. But again, we, mm. we were able to um, navigate through that period um, and we're able to, to get, you know, the entire block um, shot and, and put away. So very fortunate, um, especially considering that some of our other uh, peers um, weren't able to um, get their full schedule out this year. Oh, I think going into 2020, we all knew it was an Olympic year. While Nine didn't have the Olympics, it, it carries everybody's sort of schedule, doesn't it? It's something you have to either work around or acknowledge it's a thing and deal with it. For it to get postponed... Um, meant that everybody just had to change everything in a pretty big hurry. And, and I acknowledge absolutely that that you and the others did a pretty good job of kind of, you know, how can we slice and dice this a little bit differently, make it go for us, do what we need to do. It did absolutely help you guys that your prime time dominance um, played out, you know, particularly across that first half of the week. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think about it, there's another two weeks that you need to fill. There's 40 weeks of... Um of uh, the ratings year. So we had to um, recalibrate and, and pivot and, and, and cover those two weeks. But as I said earlier, Great we minutes. also had to thin out the schedule that gave us time in case things like the mm. block weren't able to kind of be get back in production. Now that didn't eventuate. Sure. We got back into production. Um, the Olympics didn't happen, has been postponed, question mark over whether it will happen next year or not. Um, mm. And I guess that kind of segues into what we're trying to do for next year, and that is allowing us to have optionality in the schedule. Um, you know, we have a plan with the Olympics. We have a plan without the Olympics. Um, and I yeah. think, you know, those building blocks, which we announced at the upfronts, um, a testament to delivering us greater optionality and de-risking the schedule uh, to, to a degree in 2021. And and I do want to talk about the 2021 stuff in, in just a moment. I, I will offer to you that my family um, were suitably impressed with this season of Lego Masters, as we were last year. Um, but look, this hardcore adult fan of Lego, it, it was so great to see those stormtroopers walk in. Like, what a moment uh, in, in like, combining two of my big passions. I can see. I can it was see. so great. We, um, yeah, and look, we've got something planned next year that hopefully will also um, tickle tickle uh, your fancy. Uh, we've kind of going through the casting process at the moment. We've got a brilliant cast, in fact, mm -hmm. a really diverse cast. And, I, I mean, everyone just loves that show. Just uh, the power of creativity, you know, what Hamish brings to the table. Um, yeah. you know, and, and what the show kind of um, stands for. Um, mm. You know, seeing people that you probably don't normally see on commercial TV um, doing the thing that they love. Um, and, you know, it's just it's just such a, such a great show and such a great vehicle for Hamish. Yeah, and it, it's a bit lightning in a bottle, isn't it? It's just doing so great in that kind of moment. You know, people building Lego, Hamish, everything kind of works so great together and Brickman is a nice bit of salt through the middle of that. It, it's super What great. I love about it as well um, is that the power of something like a Lego Masters and the power of something like a Ninja is that there is an effect. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you see through kids and I've got, I've got kids here, they watch the show, they watch Lego, they then go and play Lego, they then go and, you know, we want to hit more Lego and kind yeah. of inspires them to go and do that. 
Ninja Warrior, same thing. Kids are outside setting up uh, ninja courses. Yes. We've got a ropes course out, out the back here. Um, and, you know, my daughter, six-year-old, is out, out on it um, every, every night, you know, trying to emulate the people that she's seen. Amazing. Olivia Vivian, you know, seeing that mm. kind of uh, female role model and, the, and, and, and what she's achieved through that show um, is just great to see. So it's that kind of cause and effect, and I think that's where Free to Wear mm. is at its best. Absolutely. And, you know, bringing the family together absolutely. around the box, something that is a rarity in 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And absolute rarity, I think, in a world of fragmentation and, and delivering to niche audiences on a lot of the SPOD players, um, having those big, broad family hits is, is what we do best and, you know, in, in, and is um, what will keep us in good stead for many years to come. You mentioned that there was some understandable touch and go. Will the block get back to production? Thankfully, it did. We're seeing that play out now. Um, however, it obviously has a knock-on effect for television production leading into 2020. Uh, you know, I, I would expect, you said, you know, Lego Masters casting is happening now. We've got to start prepping for Married at First Sight. All of those things are coming down the pipe. How has that impacted your planning for 2021, given that production has to be super COVID aware? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it right at the end there, is that there, there's a lot of COVID policies. If someone asked me what a COVID policy mm. was this time last year, I'd look at them blankly. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think the great thing, now is that, that we've spent time understanding um, this 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 virus and have implemented mm. things that enable us to continue moving these productions forward. I think if you're in Melbourne with a production, um, it's a lot more problematic right now. And you saw mm. with Hot Seat, we moved, moved to Queensland. We moved to yeah, Queensland. Yeah. Um, you know, we won't have any marriages for Married at First Sight in Melbourne this year. We obviously will be looking mm. elsewhere and um, that's in production at the moment. So it has changed, but uh, whether there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, touch wood, everything, everything's still moving as planned. Yeah. And, and I would expect that you guys are confident that you'll meet your um, uh, deadlines as far as when you want to have those shows ready so that they'll meet the schedule. Absolutely. Everything's kind of, we're going to work towards that. Nobody gets sick. Everything's a. Yeah, look, there's there's a bit of leeway in a lot of the shows, so um, you give yourself some time. But I, I can't see any reason why we won't deliver what we talked about and what we presented at the upfronts um, on Wednesday. I was really impressed with the lineup for 2021. Uh, in that the programming, everything that laid out was all Australian content. You know, whether it's reality or drama, that's that's a huge that's a huge call. Yeah, look, I think uh, what we wanted to showcase was obviously the strength of our platform shows, so those returning, plus also those new building blocks, which we're looking to enter the schedule in 2021. Um, so yeah, the primary the primary focus was those platform shows, and then anything new, and obviously what we showcased there for linear was was all Australian um, and and an investment in Australian because you know that's our point of difference. Um, you know, when you've got uh, the likes of Disney Plus and Apple and yep. um, Amazon and, and, um, and Netflix and obviously uh, our Australian um, entrance stand in that place, um, you know, our point of difference is that we're, we, we are Australian and that we talk to Australian audience with Australian stories. So um, you actually absolutely nailed it on the head there. That, that, that is a, a conscious decision and a place that we see free-to-air holding um, moving forward. And, and that's, uh, I guess, a good sort of angle on this. I'm like, I look at it and go, great, it's all Australian content. And I appreciate the commercial realities of television. There's 11 reality shows and two dramas in that mix. Yep. I know that drama is a tough sell on free-to-air TV, but we're committed to it. We want to see it happen. You guys also have the benefit of, of a stand, you know, in itself, which has made its commitment, you know, to have a whole bunch of Australian content plugging through there in you know, inside five years. 100%. Is that, is that the, I don't want to say get out of jail free card. That's the wrong way to pitch it. Um, it's that, I guess, the comfort that it brings you when we know drama is a tough sell on free-to-air television, but is a, a big winner on streaming. Uh, look, for us, um, it, it, it is tough. It's become tougher, but you just look at Halifax. It's doing a great job for us um, mm -hmm. at the moment. It, it kind of launched at 500s. It's held 500s through. And I think the thing that, you know, we keep harping on about, but the reason we do is because it's true, is that underlying the live overnights is, is a broader story with drama. And we know that people watch it mm -hmm. in catch-up over yes. 7, 14, 28, you know, three months. 
we know that they're watching it via via our BVOD premium content yep. platform in Nine Now. Um, and you touched on it, Stan. Like it is part of the the Nine ecosystem, and our investment in Australian content, our investment in scripted content, will only become bigger over the next five years. And you said it before, Stan uh, talked about thirty originals. Um, that is their future. Their future is to to mm, yes. create. Um, brand defining Australian stories. I think it's a strength of what Nine offer in that connection, as much as you pointed out. You know, um, every every commercial television network has has worked really hard to build their online service so that people can catch up and and access the content when they need to. And everyone's building their library around that as well. Stuff that only exists in Nine now that I can tune in there and watch. Um, that, that's older content, but you know, it, it's stuff that, that I can scratch in each. Well, it's a, it's a mix right. for us. So we obviously did an they did the NBC deal at the end of last year. We've got a, we've yes. got a JV with Discovery, with Rush, and that provides us with a slate of content for Nine Now as well. But within that NBC deal, um, a lot of that is fresh content. A lot of that is new content and content that mm-hmm. will go directly to Nine Now. So we've made an investment in new, and we've also made an investment in library. Um, and that's yes. that's the art of the those those um, BVOD and SVOD platforms is getting the balance right. It's, it's showcasing new and exclusive, but it's also having content that sits there under the fold that you know people want to go and revisit, or if they haven't seen it the first time around, then they 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 um, they stream it. And something like Desperate Housewives is the perfect example of that. Um, but I think for us, you know, uh, we've shifted away from it being a, a purely catch up service. I mean, the power of Nine now. And seven plus and ten play is that it yeah. provides utility for viewers to watch your content if they don't catch it in the live environment. Um, it 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 also uh, provides advertisers, which is really key, real rich mm-hmm. data on on that audience. Um, and this is the convergence point where uh, the old world of linear is meeting the new world of digital. Um, and everything old is new again. So what we're seeing is the, the the rise and rise of connected TVs. And that's why through the presentation, we talk so much about this data play and the Adobe um, deal is that it's the strength of Nine's Huge data deal. proposition yeah. and understanding the audience across all platforms. And um, Nine now is, is obviously central to that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting time in, in, um, in free-to-air, you know, um, history, but a really exciting time. Um, it's going to make it tough for you to be able to program a new schedule though, right? In terms of on linear? I, just the wealth of content. There is so much out there. Oh, look, I think, but we said it before, it's like the ability to reach broad audience is now a rarity within the landscape of platforms. So that's your strength, being able to have those shows like Ninja and Married at First Sight that are actually mm. creating the headlines. I still think that you know, a lot of this stuff you see on those SVOD platforms, they come and they go, they're, they're quite disposable because you go in there and it's that paradox of choice. We've always talked about that paradox of choice. But even more yes. so now, like, people's patience, people's levels have kind of, you know, dwindled over time. And it's because you've just, it's like being in the supermarket, you know, and you don't have to buy anything off the shelf. You can just try it as you go. It's the same yeah. thing. And I think that's actually means that through scarcity, we stand out even more. Yeah, I'll go shopping and buy a packet of Lord Allen. <laughs> um, congratulations, by the way. Great get. Will Will uh, Allen be in Australia or will he be remote for Celebrity? He will be Australia? on the ground um, firing people uh, <laughs> in person. Amazing. But, you know, um, he was a great get and, you know, getting a Lord on nine is... Um, <laughs> is great. But also um, Joe Frost, the super nanny, you know, she, yes. um, I remember, I don't know, probably 13 years ago when um, uh, we had the tape for Super Nanny and it was doing $2 million. And I was like, you know. <laughs> so uh, we weren't able to get her to do a local version of Super Nanny back in the day, but a real coup mm. uh, to have her attached to the parent unit. I think it just elevates it even further. And, you know, it was one of the casualties of last year with COVID. We weren't able to um, get that into production. Uh, but yep. you know, I think I've said it before. You know, having um, having uh, that time has meant we've been able to land uh, a big fish in in Joe Frost. Yep. 
Well, there's there's lots to be excited about. You know, we're going to see Sophie Monk busted out a couple of different ways between Love Island and Beauty and the Geek, as we talked about Celebrity Apprentice Australia. Um, of course, the block is back for its seventeenth season. That's insane, Hamish. How do you keep that fresh? Uh, well, I think you know we've always said that the the location and the house is a big character, so um, mm. always iterating that and ensuring that you're keeping it fresh, but also the characters ensuring you you you're delivering a diverse cast um, and a cast that that prints differently each year. Um, I think yep. that's the that's the key ingredient and will continue to be the key ingredient. Next year, we're, we're going to a cul-de-sac. So it's, um, it's like, you know, Pinot Court and Neighbours. <laughs> right. It's uh, that Aussie dream. So that's going to be really interesting and it will print very differently to this year. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. It'll, it Look, five houses in a cul-de-sac will save heaps on traffic <laughs> issues. Just, Just shut the whole thing down. Close it down. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awesome. Hamish, thank you for your time. I really appreciate what has become our, our annual conversation after the upfronts. Yeah, it's always time insightful virtual. to hear from you. Um, it, it's, it, it'd be remiss of me not mentioning um, uh, um, Amazing Grace as well, the new drama. Um, mm. I'm really excited by that. And also, you know, under investigation with Liz Hayes, um, you know, being able to kind of expand out um, her universe, uh, obviously has been with yes. 60 Minutes for a long time, but we're really excited about that project. And, um, you know, there's, I think there's some really um, interesting things to, to look out for in 2021. And look, I think the other thing worth noting is that we went early this year. So this is as early as we've yes. ever been. Um, it, it is kind of like an artificial deadline in terms of announces, but there will be a few mm -hmm. more and we've still got a few things that we're working on at the moment. So uh, watch this space. Well, that'll be great. I'm, I'm keen to see more of it play out. I think a, a healthy competition, you know, within our commercial networks is always good. When there's three things and you have to make a choice of what you're going to watch and what you're going to record, that's a great place for us to be in. I know you'd want it always to be that we turn on to nine, but let's see how we land. Well, right? you can turn on to nine and then you can then you can go and catch up or uh, as a destination, all right, on nine now or flick over to stand. So optionality. All right, that's enough. There's plenty, of, plugs there's plenty of utility there, on? Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Far out, jeepers! I'll, I'll finish with this question, if that's all right. What are you watching? What am I watching? Um, yeah. Well, I actually started watching. So, as I said to you before, but not in the interview, we had a child on Monday, so my wife's been in hospital. Oh, I've got the three kids at home, uh, so there's been um, a bit of spare time uh, on the couch. Uh, Cobra <laughs> Kai. I kind of never watched it yes. when it was on YouTube, so now it landed on Netflix. I kind of had a look and. Um, Heaps easy to watch it on Netflix, let me tell you. Oh, there's another interesting thing. It's the short episodes. I'm a big fan of the short episodes at the moment. Yeah. Just being able to churn through these things really quickly. Um, I started watching Dez on Stan. So, Great. Um, a little bit dark, a little bit macabre, but a really interesting story about Dennis Nielsen, who was uh, the serial killer of kind of uh, 70s and 80s in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, that that's, that's an interesting watch and doing great numbers in the UK at the moment. Um, and then, you know, obviously you're keeping an eye on everything on free to air. So I watched Kathy Freeman documentary the other night, which I thought was great. Yep. Um, I'm watching the block every night, uh, Halifax and, uh, actually just watched Australian crime on Wednesday, uh, off air. Uh, and you know, we've got another nine episodes of that, but they've done a great job this year. So Brilliant. never a dull moment. That's for sure, Steve. There never is. And may there never be. <laughs> Thanks, Hamish. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, mate. Good work as always, Mulk. Uh, but now it's time to open the vault and find out what Ben has got for us. So let's open it up. Oh, oh, it's it's a locked one now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I've added a sound effect, Sarah. There you go. We've upped the budget. <laughs> Some people have actually asked that you throw away the key, that you just lock it and never open it again. But uh, uh, well, They don't have to listen. Well, they don't. But what I will tell you is the answer to wow. last ones that got the most amount of votes by far. And just to give you some clarity on that, I got 11 people on Twitter and zero <laughs> people on Instagram. But it did win. And that was people wanted to know Channel 7 has signed up an ex-Big Brother star to be on Holy Moly. Uh, but one of the Bachelorettes has turned them down. And that is Angela who you may know as the tea lady from Big Brother. She oh, is going awesome. to be on Holly Molly. And uh, it is believed that Angie Kent turned down the, bach you know, the Bachelorette. She turned down Holly Molly. 
So Wow. There you go. Wow. There's a bit of gossip for you. And let's open up this week's ones. Number one. Well, guys, a popular show has been axed with very little known as to why. Apparently, the protagonist was simply bored of the show, which led to the network saying, no deal without the title lead. Who could this be? Oh, so it's a recent show that has announced it's axing. It's a popular show that's now been announced that it's axed and no one knows why, but I can tell you that that show is coming to an end because the protagonist of that show is sick of it and doesn't want to come back. Mm. Between two worlds. Interesting. (laughs) No, ratings have canned that show. (laughs) Number two. (laughs) One presenter went a little too far when filming their guest role on a recent show. The crew overheard a producer dressing down the star saying, it's supposed to be TV magic. You're not supposed to take things literally. Oh. <gasps> Did they get all their kid off on the full Monty? <laughs> Gosh. Sarah Monaghan, I uh, was going to say, when I put this together, I thought, what are the things that people are going to most likely think this is? And I did think Full Monty would be maybe where they had said cover up. You know, you've oh, gone too far. Interesting. Number Don't three. Swing it around. <laughs> Bachelorette. In the age of podcasts, everyone has been scrambling to lock in the best talent. But last week, a newcomer was overheard bragging about his lineup, which includes someone who is actually dead. Gosh. <laughs> well, we Gosh. think they might be not telling the truth there, Ben. Yeah, they're like, oh, by the way, did you know that I have this person, who, by the way, is an American artist, and this person is dead. So I'm like, I don't necessarily know you've locked that one down, but all the very best. And think of the ratings if that person has been brought back from the dead to be on this podcast. It's a connection to heaven. It'll be amazing. (laughs) hologram it. And it's not Harry T, the psychic. Well, Ben, close that vault up. That brings us to the end of another TV black box. Thank you for your company. Don't forget, if you do enjoy the show, leave a five-star review and comment on iTunes. And if you don't, piss off. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Mock. We'll see you next week. Just like Fernman07 did. What? Leave a good or bad review? I've come full circle. I'm a fan. Mock is my fave. (laughs) Good on you, Mock. We'll leave that bit in. 